Well, God is good. And all the time. Well, grateful to be here with you. Grateful that you're joining us, church online. I know people are traveling everywhere on vacation already too. Grateful for what God is going to do this day as we start the Superhero of the Bible sermon series. Excited. I'll be doing most of these sermons. We'll also have Reverend Ashley Cooper here in a couple weeks from England. Incredible speaker, great man of God. Looking forward to that and all that God is going to be doing over this next five weeks. Well, anyone out there when you were little or just in general, do you like superheroes? Anyone out there? We've got superhero fans, a few. Yeah, there we go. Okay. Well, I will tell you this. I was one of those superhero fans growing up. When I was a boy, I absolutely loved superheroes. Loved them. But there was one in particular that I loved. Dun-da-da-dun! Superman. Superman, Superman, Superman. Boy, did I love Superman. As a little boy, I was engrossed in the world of Superman. I had Superman pajamas. Blue on, yeah, blue on bottom, blue top with the uh, Superman emblem. And it had a cape. Oh, these were awesome pajamas. I'll tell you this, that I didn't want to get rid of them. So eventually the top became like a belly shirt, (laughs) running around, flying around. The cape got lost, not happy about that. I still have some issues with that, but the cape got lost. I had a Superman action figure. Boy, did I love playing with that action figure. And I always said he was invincible, but then his left leg broke off, and I kind of kept putting it back on there, pretending he was still invincible. Gosh, I love Superman. I also would watch Superman. There was a cartoon series in the 1940s, an animated series about Superman that I had on VHS tape that I would watch again and again. In fact, I went ahead, when I was thinking about this, I went on YouTube and I thought, I wonder how well I remember that Superman tape and the, the different cartoons. I remember them. It's scary how well I remember them, let me tell you that. And that was like five years old the last time I've, I've seen those. I also liked... The Superman movie, 1978, Christopher Reeve, the first Superman. Anyone seen that out there? Oh, gosh, I love that. I almost broke the tape. I watched that so many times. Oh, oh, oh back to the cape problem. What I found out was that when I was a uh, boy, all I needed was like a bath towel and, a, pape and a, a clothespin. And then I would have that on, and I'd go all around the house, and I would be Superman again. I love Superman. I loved his invincibility. I love that he had the ability to fly. I loved his super strength, and I was obsessed, so much so that my grandparents and my parents thought, Michael, you're overdoing this a little bit. Well, at that same time, my dad, uh, it was like a late summer afternoon, my dad and a bunch of buddies took, the, took all the kids out to a park while they kind of sat under the pavilion for a little while. I think they were just hanging out there, and then all the kids were out on a playground. Now, these were the good playgrounds they used to have. These are the playgrounds, they were all metal, and, (laughs) you know what I'm talking about? And, uh, yeah, yeah, and they would have like sharp, they turned sharp pieces and rusty, you know what I'm talking about? You go on these playgrounds, and there's no, every time you played on one of these playgrounds, you lost at least one pint of blood. Every single time, but that was just part of the fun. (laughs) Also, the sun, especially on those hot summer days, that metal would just absorb it. And you remember what it's like touching those? 
those are old enough. Every time, if you took your finger and you touched any parts of those equipment, you'd burn half your finger off right away. Just burn, we, you just, no fingers by the time you were done uh, with that. They also had a different type of surfacing back then. You know, surfacing, you know, did they have those kind of rubber surfaces they have now? No, they didn't have that. Now, some of you who are younger than me you think, well, they had, they had those uh, recycled tires in, in pieces, right? No, no, no. They had something else back then. It was called concrete. This <laughs> is true. Concrete. And basically, when you fell into that concrete, you were like a bug that hit a windshield. Let me tell you, you just kind of splat right there. And one of my favorite parts that I'm really sad that they've changed now is that the, the slides were actually really tall. And, and not only that, they didn't have a canopy at the top where you had to sit down. You could just stand up. And the side, now the sides are like this big so the kid doesn't like fall off the side. The sides were like this, you know? <laughs> Well, on that day, the slide was the main attraction on that hot summer afternoon. And I remember walking up. There was a little line up the slide. You know what I'm talking about? The, the steps up there, and there's one or two people ahead of you, and one's at the top, and you're just waiting. I was so excited. And all I had on my mind was Superman that day. And when it was my turn to finally go to the top, I didn't sit down and just slide down. No, no, no. I stood there, and I flexed my muscles, and I said, dun dun da da Superman, and I jumped off the slide. <laughs> True story. <laughs> True story. I didn't fly like my mind was telling me I was going to. Instead, that surfacing I was talking about, I hit that, started crying, taken to the ER, broken right arm from that day. I might have got a little bit too into that Superman thing, all right? I got too wrapped up in the fantasy. Got into a, maybe a dangerous cycle with it, too much. And that kind of dangerous cycle, bad cycle, started to blind me from reality. The reality that I wasn't Superman. You know, friends, we all get into some type of bad cycle at times. Sometimes they're really big and they're like, oh gosh, this is terrible. Other times they're smaller bad cycles, but we all get in them. Sometimes it's as simple as stuff with our bodies, right? We get into unhealthy eating habits. We don't exercise enough. We don't sleep enough. Or sometimes it's a bad cycle in our minds where like, we just think negatively, or our tongue's connected to that. I got a lot of people I care about who always speak negative. That's a, a bad cycle, or selfishness, or procrastination. Sometimes they're relational bad cycles, right? This happens, and even in healthy relationships, right? Sometimes you're just not jibing with someone you love, and they love you, and it kind of gets into a bad cycle, not enough communication, or, or something else. Sometimes, though, there are bigger issues with relationship, boundary issues, or just plain unhealthy relationships. And yes, too, sometimes we get into the spiritual bad cycle, and sometimes that's simply like, we don't want God to get involved with our lives, we don't wanna come to church, we don't wanna be in prayer. These are cycles that are bad. But you know what? We're gonna dig into those today, dig out of them today, and look at the Bible 
and what it has to say about bad cycles and how we can get a little bit of guidance on how we can get out of any bad cycle, whether it's small or whether it's big. And we're going to do that by looking at this character today, the powerful Samson. First, let's talk a little bit about the book of Judges, because Judges really has to do with bad cycles. So where are we at in the Bible right now? Joshua has led the people into the promised land, and now right before he died, he told the people of Israel, hey, follow the Torah, this is the commands of God, and you will live a fruitful, beautiful life. And there's a big idea is that God wants the people of Israel to be the ideal people show what it looks like to be living for God and the blessings that God gives in that way. Joshua dies, then we enter into the book of Judges. Now, we need to understand this is before there are any kings. So we now we have, of course, we have Moses, we had Josh, Joshua, now we got no kings. And so what happens in the book of Judges is that these judges who are like military leaders, almost tribal chiefs, they become the leaders of Israel throughout these decades and decades. Here's what is important, though, to know about the book of Joshua from kind of a, uh, an overall view. There's a bad cycle that keeps going and going in the book, and the cycle looks something like this. The people of, of Israel, they disobey God. They get into sin. They get oppressed by a people. They cry out to God for deliverance. God sends them a protector or deliverer, that being the judge. And then what enters? A time of peace. Now, if that just happened one time, that would be great. The people should be uh, kind of connected with, with God, connected and staying true to God. But instead, the cycle happens again. And again and again. And another thing that's going on in the book is that it's not, it's a cycle that's getting worse and worse. And it's actually shown by the character of the judges over them. So at first, the judges are actually pretty good. But by the time you get to the end, where we're at today with Samson, well, let's just say the judges aren't good people. So that's where we find ourselves today. We land in the book of Judges and with this person called Samson. So let's go ahead and get his origin story. First, we're going to start with Judges 13, 23 through 24. Here we go. When her son was born, she named him Samson. And the Lord blessed him as he grew up. And the spirit of the Lord began to stir him. All right, stir him. Here's what we need to know about Samson. His life started with or in good Circumstances, father and mother married, appears to come from a financially secure, maybe even rich family. No tragedy that we know of has touched Samson or his family's life. We find out his mother, good woman, and more insensitive to the things of the spirit. Father, still a, a man who loves God, but a bit more practical about making sensible decisions, but a very good man. Samson comes from a great place. Not only that, not only does he have this great family thing going, friends, he has a call from God on his life. How beautiful is that? One day he is going to be a judge. He's gonna be dedicated to God as a Nazarite. What that basically means is that his life will be set apart for God's purpose. So what do we find from that? And why is he so blessed? He immediately has a direction in life. I don't know 
about you, but there are some people out there who, are, who struggle for kind of years or decades to figure what occupation or what's their di- di- a direction in life. My wife, now she was someone who knew what her occupation was gonna be very early. Early in her teens, she knew she was gonna be a nurse. So some people are built like that, right? You kind of know your direction in life. There are other people who take years or decades to figure out what am I doing? What's the direction? What's the job for me? Samson doesn't even have to worry about that. God said, here you go, Samson. Here's your direction. The God of the universe said that. You can bet that that is going to be the right direction to go in. So he gets dedicated as a Nazarite for this special, special, uh, uh, special type of call from God upon his life. And now there are a lot of rules with this. He doesn't follow all the rules, but the big one for our story today is for him to Keep this special call, which comes with a super strength, like a superhuman strength, like a superman, an incredible Hulk strength. He needs to make sure that his hair is never cut. So Samson is blessed. He's born into a loving, financially secure, and God-fearing family. He has a purpose, a direction in life. How is this guy, though? He's going to get into a very bad cycle. How is he going to get into this? Well, there's something interesting that we see right at his origin story. We find out that God was helping Samson as he grew, a very positive connotation for the life of Samson. God is literally by his side, helping him make decisions and growing him into the man that he's supposed to be. However, there's something else that the Bible said that we just read, and the Spirit of God began to stir him, stir him, stir him. What does that mean? Sometimes we may think that the spirit of God began to stir me. That's a positive thing. Well, it could be a positive thing, but in this context with the Hebrew language, it's not. The word stir here covers actions like strike, pound, harass, plague, afflict. So here's the idea, friends. As God was trying to help Samson grow, as God set all this up for him to succeed, Samson was resisting. He was resisting. He was fighting God's work in his life. Every time the Lord said, Samson, this is the right direction to go. Samson said, I want to go in my direction. Samson, this is a better way to think. Samson says, no, I want to think the way that I want to think. From a big picture idea, this also represents how Israel is fighting with God in the book of Judges. Is that within those people at that time, they were fighting God. But let's think of a smaller picture and think about us. What's one of the ingredients that begin to put us into a bad cycle? Some, we know this, right? Stubbornness. Anyone stubborn out there? Or are you so stubborn you don't want to tell me you're stubborn? You know what, someone once said, stubbornness and stupidity are friends, that they hang around together. Now, sometimes we, I think we use the word stubbornness in a, in a positive way, like I'm going to be stubborn in my faith, absolutely. I'm going to be stubborn, being good, being good part of my family, absolutely. But that's not the stubborn word that we're thinking about here. The Bible's talking about a stubbornness within Samson where he's straight up just being disobedient to God. That's what's working on in his life. And the Lord keeps trying to love on him and shove on him and give him the right place, the right direction. But for some reason, there's this deep resistance. And what it seems like, and we'll talk more about in a moment, he's not telling anyone about it. 
It's like he knows the Lord is doing something within him. He's saying no to God, but he's not verbally talking it out at all. The Bible is talking here, like I said, stubbornness, disobedient to God. So what can we learn from the beginning of Samson's story that will get us out of our bad cycle, whether small or big? First, you got to realize how good God has been to you. Straight away, Samson just didn't get it. This guy was given the, the winning lottery ticket when he was born. He doesn't realize that God has blessed, blessed, blessed him. He, and he starts refusing to work with God. Now, out there right now, there may be some of you who are thinking, okay, but I didn't come from that type of background. Maybe you did have a tough, tough background that you have to overcome or you have overcome. I can guarantee you this. There are still things you can be thankful for in the midst of it all. You don't have to be thankful for the bad times, but you can be thankful for the God who is with you in the bad times. Samson does not realize how good God has been to him. I read a story about a woman who was 101 years old. 101 years old. Her name's Clarice. And Clarice was, at that point in her life, she was taking care of others. She was caring for her 89-year-old brother who suffered multiple strokes and her 95-year-old sister who had advanced Alzheimer's disease. This was an interview I, I read. And... Clarice responded that, you know, when she was asked about why are you doing this at 101, she said that she had made a promise to the Lord that if God kept her able, she would show her thankfulness by caring for her siblings as long as she was able. And she'd been caring for them for years. When the interview was being done, of course, neither one of Clarice's siblings could speak anymore. But the interviewer did ask Clarice, about, you know, what do you think your siblings would say about the way you've been taking care of them? And she said, oh, I'm not quite sure, but probably they would say thank you. I think that's a family that had thankfulness in their hearts that probably happened at a very young way. That's a, Clarice is a woman ready to serve, determined and grateful for the life that she's been given. She could complain about being 101 years old and and whatever aches and pains that she had, but instead she said, thank you, God, I'm gonna serve. That's gratefulness there. What's making it so hard for Samson? And we see at these, this origin part of his story to God, for God to work in his life. He's just not thankful. A lack of thankfulness is an ingredient to get someone in a bad cycle. So we have to freeze sometimes to think, what are we thankful for? Maybe you're even going through a bad season right now. You gotta stop and say, God, what am I thankful for? What should I be thankful for? And when we do that, maybe God's gotten you through a health crisis or maybe there's something else God's doing. When we do that, it's an ingredient to help us prevent a bad cycle. So Samson gets older. He realizes he has this supernatural ability. It is super strength and he has some type of invincibility as well. What happens is that whenever God calls on him, the spirit of Yahweh comes rushing upon him and he does these extraordinary feats of strength. He'll kill a lion with his bare hands. He'll kill a thousand Philistines as well. But what we also understand as the reader of this text is that he was refusing God to touch some areas of his life. And as we go on, it's gonna show how he's blind and it's gonna set, it's gonna blind spiritually and set him in a destructive cycle. Let's go to our next part of the text. 
When he returned home, he told his father and mother, a young Philistine woman in Timnah caught my eye. I want to marry her. Get her for me. His father and mother, well, they objected. His father and mother didn't realize that the Lord was at work in this, creating an opportunity to work against the Philistines who ruled over Israel at the time. All right, to the chagrin of his parents, Samson picks a Philistine woman is something he's not supposed to be doing at the time. But what the text lets us know is that God is actually working in this pick of a Philistine woman with Samson. And here's a greater idea. God says, Samson, I'm going to use you in your life whether you like it or not. So you can go get infatuated with this person, this over there. That's fine. I am still going to get the glory and I'm going to use your life. Again, what is Samson's purpose is to protect the people from the Philistines. So God says, fine, you're not going to work with me, Samson. Go for it. And I will use you anyways. But what we find out is that he's not articulating his struggle that he's going through with his parents. And his parents are basically like, that is a bad choice that you're making, Samson. What does this show us when we think about ingredients that create a stronghold for us? When we don't let people into our struggles, it puts us in a bad cycle. We need to let people into our struggle. So how do you break bad cycles? Simple. You let people help you. It's that simple. You let people help you. And some of us, that's really hard to do. Uh, but what could that look like? Sometimes it's hard to ask people to pray for us. Some of us, it's not that hard. Other people, it's hard. Asking someone to pray, that's a way they can help us. Sometimes there are certain struggles we have that we need to find someone, doesn't have to be everyone, to talk to about them, but we gotta find someone to talk to. That's letting someone into our struggle, preventing a bad cycle. And sometimes we need to make sure that we don't overthink it and we just accept the help if we're in need. And let me illustrate that by this story. As a teenager, I really did not want to get help from anyone. Um, part of my personality that is a strength is that I'm a very independent person. But if you are like that, you know there's also a weakness if you are very independent. It's that we need each other. <laughs> we need each other and we won't ask someone for help. So I really tried to do everything on my own as a teenager. I didn't even want my family to help, but if anyone was gonna help, I was gonna let my family help me. Well, I ran into a problem as a teenager with this that God started working in my heart. When I was towards the end of high school, I needed to take my first religion class, and it was gonna be at a community college called Parkland College in Champaign, Illinois. The class was gonna meet two times a week, uh, for the entire spring semester, and it was about, that's 12 miles away from my hometown or so. So I had to take this class. There was a problem, though. I didn't have a car. I didn't have a ride, and all the people in my family who may be able to do it were unavailable at the time. But, like, as soon as I found out that I was going to need a ride to this class, God, like, brought somebody. His name was Jeremy. Jeremy was from my high school. We were actually going to the same church at the time, and he was taking the class too. And guess what? He had a vehicle and he was willing to take me. The only problem that I ran into was moi, me. Because I didn't want to get help from any person. Like, I don't know what I was thought I was going to do, walk to Champagne. I don't know. And here's the other problem. 
Jeremy really got on my nerves. So I didn't want his help. He got on my nerves. So what was I going to do? I was going to go to my prayer closet that night. God was going to give me a way out of this. I just knew he's going to provide me a ride somehow. So I went to my prayer closet, sincerely praying my heart out. God, I know I need to take this class. I know I need a ride to Parkland twice a week for the whole semester. How are you going to do this, Lord? I'm believing you for it. And I can tell you, friends, that after I got done having my little emotional cry out with the Lord, it was as if God was sitting there with me and saying to me, Michael, what are you talking about? <laughs> I already took care of this. And not only that, I took care of it immediately. You're gonna have to get over your preference and let someone help you. Michael, this is a weakness. To get help healthier, you're going to have to allow people to help you in certain circumstances. I did not like it. But you know what? I went with Jeremy. It worked out. We both completed the class. We actually grew in our relationship, and Jeremy and I became friends. You know, sometimes God is so ready to help us, but our preferences get in the way. So we just have to be ready to let God use people and help us. I don't know what that looks like for you, but you probably do. Allow God to do it, and he'll make sure that you don't get into or you'll get out of a bad cycle. So, Samson, not letting people into his struggle. How's it go now that he finds a Philistine woman that he falls in love with? How's it go? It goes off. It's just awful. Unbeknownst to Samson, the woman is put under pressure to tell Samson, uh, to ask Samson the secret to his riddle. Now, there's a riddle that Samson does in the text in about Judges 14 there. And basically, if the people answer the riddle, it's going to shame Samson. If they don't ever get the answer to the riddle, it's going to give Samson a whole lot of money. And no one can figure out the riddle. So this woman is set up to ask Samson the answer to the riddle. She keeps pestering him. He resists her. And finally, he caves in and he says the secret to the riddle. Well, what does the woman do? She's saying that, you know, basically, give me the riddle. I won't tell anyone I love you. Well, she tells Samson, or she tells Samson's secret, and he is betrayed. And when he feels that sense, that betrayal, he is livid and starts destroying the Philistines, ultimately living into the purpose that God has for him, but not the way that God intended. So from there, we think, okay, Samson, you made a bad choice. Your parents were telling you, that this is not a great choice. You had the spirit of God speaking to you from a young age, but you still made the choice anyways. Yet, what we're gonna find is the bad cycle happens and it gets worse. Let's look at the text. Sometime later, Samson fell in love with a woman named Delilah. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, entice Samson to tell you what makes him so strong and how he can be overpowered and tied up securely. What we first see is that there is time between the last incident with the Philistine woman and this woman, Delilah. Time has gone by, and what the Bible is hoping that we will discover when time has gone by is Samson hopefully has taken time to reflect. Hopefully he's taken a moment to grow up, look at his past mistakes and say, you know what? 
I wanna be a better man. I wanna be a man of God. Have some gray hair, long gray hair now and be the mature man that he was destined to be. But friends, that's not what is going to happen. Time goes by, but Samson stays the same. He doesn't use, here's what's key for us in this moment. He doesn't use the time God has given him between the bad cycles to take the exit ramp out. Friends, how do we get out of a bad cycle? We look for the exit ramp. Look for the exit ramp. This is a biblical idea you can see all over the Bible. Whenever you're in a bad cycle, there comes a point where there is an exit ramp you can see. And you gotta take it. Let me illustrate it for you for a second. I pastored a couple churches in Marshall, Illinois, uh, really blessed while well, me and Valerie and the, and the family were there years ago. One of the biggest blessings I think we had is that a block away from my house was a Dairy Queen. I mean, you could take a rock, throw it, yeah, amen, and you could hit that Dairy Queen. And so, I, you know, I might have got a little bit of a bad cycle. I wanted to have a blizzard every single day. And I started to eat a blizzard every single day. Now, some of you say, well, this wasn't that costly, Mike. Don't worry about it. We had, a, we had a budget item for the gym membership. And so I just took that money out of the gym membership bu uh, budget and I just moved it to the ice cream budget. So we financially were okay. But I was having this almost every day, but it was getting expensive, obviously. And so then I, I said, let me get, like, we got half gallon of ice cream from Walmart. And so we got that, and sure enough, I would eat ice cream, that ice cream, and then I'd get a blizzard. I was eating ice cream twice a day. I'm not kidding. I gained 30 pounds. <laughs> and I remember one time I had my shirt off, I looked in the mirror, and I thought, I'm not looking that bad. I wasn't looking good, I'm gonna tell you. I've seen some pictures later. Gained 30 pounds from doing that. Ice cream twice a day, not exaggerating. But you know what? The Holy Spirit was showing me an exit ramp that got me out of that bad habit. I started to notice that I was going to ice cream when I was thirsty. Anyone experience that as well? Like you just want something thirsty and you eat ice cream? Yeah. And so and I would really just want a glass of cold water. I also noticed this. There was times I was eating this delicious, creamy ice cream with you know, cookies or s'more pieces or whatever in it, I wasn't even enjoying it. And I was just eating it. And you know what happened? What helped me get out of that bad cycle? Before I ate ice cream, I started drinking water. And sure enough, it, it curved the craving. And you know what happened? Is that those times when I was just mindlessly eating ice cream and I realized I wasn't even enjoying the moment, you know what I did? I stopped eating ice cream. So I actually lost all 30 pounds after, after that because I did a little jogging too. Here's my point. In those moments, those little small things, the, the water, uh, the kind of mindless eating, the Lord was showing me an exit ramp, friends. It wasn't the loudest of all voices, but sometimes God brings a very small voice to us. And it's in that small voice God is saying, there's your way out. There's your way out. And what we have to do is that we have to notice those, we have to pray, we have to put action into them. And when we do that, it's the ingredients for getting out of the bad cycle. Well, Samson, 
He couldn't find his exit ramp, friends. And his enemies, though, the Philistines, they were working really, really hard to plot evil against him. And so we find out there's this woman named Delilah who gets set up, basically get paid to kind of figure out how are you going to get rid of Samson's strength. She bothers him multiple times, just like what had happened before with Samson and the other woman. Samson lies to her. He knows that she is plotting evil, trying to capture him. He doesn't care. He's just become blinded by his strength. He's become blinded from not listening to the Lord. And eventually, there's this idea about how deceptive the woman gets and about even biblically about how when we don't get out of the cycle, how much Satan lies to us, there's like a double deception that comes from a literary point of view there. And whenever that happens, he finally gives in and he says, I'll tell you my secret. He tells her his secret. What does she do? She betrays him immediately, cuts his hair. He's captured by the Philistines. It's a sad part of the story. And that gets us towards the end. Let's go to our next text here. What happens? The Philistines captured him and they gouge out his eyes. They take him to Gaza where he's bound with bronze chains and forced to grind grain in the prison. And the people demand, bring out Samson so he can amuse us. So Samson was brought out from the prison to amuse them. And they had him stand between the pillars of the supporting the roof. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, O sovereign Lord, remember me again, O God. Please strengthen me just one more time. With one blow, let me pay back the Philistines for the loss of my two eyes. Then Samson put his hands on the two center pillars that held up the temple, pushing against them with both hands, and the temple crashed down, and the Philistine rulers and all the people, rulers and all the people, they were all crushed. The weakened Samson is obviously captured easily now. His hair has been cut. He's lost his superpower. He's brought before everyone, humiliated. His strength is gone. He's blinded. But here's what the Bible is saying. The blindness that he has really connects to a spiritual blindness that has happened over his entire life. He thought he could, he thought he could go on without responding to God and God's work in his life. He had been blind and his strength just enhance that blindness. But in this moment, we see a man who opens up his heart to God and he realized after he's reflected and everything's been stripped away that maybe, just maybe, this God would listen to him. Maybe even though he had messed up for years, been in this bad cycle, did this to himself, perhaps this God of the universe would hear him. And what does he do? He basically says, God, It's your boy whom you love so much. I'm so sorry that I behaved how I've behaved. Will you forgive me? And God, will you help me one more time? And what happens in this moment is really important. What happens is that we see that there is a God who heard his cry, even in the midst of a bad cycle, even in the midst of his blindness. So friends, What do you need to do to get out of a bad cycle? Open your spiritual eyes and look to Jesus. In the midst of any bad cycle you're in, all you gotta do is look towards Jesus. We gotta look towards him though, like he's the only sight that we want to see. Not just one option. He needs to be the option. Final story. There's a true story from the late 19th century. 
It's about a man named William Montague Dyke. William came from a very good family, kind of like Samson. The family was highly educated, had means and a good reputation. His dad, Sir William Dyke, was an Oxford graduate and pioneer for the game of tennis. Now, when William was 10 years old, a tragedy did happen. He was blinded. There was an accident that blinded him. At the time, there was absolutely no treatment that could help him, and it was thought that he would be blind his entire life. But William and his family decided, even with this accident that had hindered his life, they would li- he would live in such a way that gave him the best life possible. So he went to an English university, graduated with honors. While he was there, he fell in love. Oh, yeah. Fell in love with the daughter of a high-ranking British naval officer. Now, about at that same time, there was an experimental eye surgery that was believed could give certain people their eyesight back. William, with his condition, actually became a candidate. And he decided to have the surgery, and it would likely be the only opportunity he'd ever have to see. Now, a big part of the post-care for that is that they had to bandage up his eyes, absolutely bandage up his eyes and almost his, his head because no light could come in. They, they thought at least six weeks until after surgery. If any light came in, it would ruin the entire surgery. Well, not only does William decide to have the surgery, he decided that he would not take the bandages off until his wedding day. When he stood before his bride at the altar, whoo, If the surgery worked, he wanted his bride to be the first sight that he would ever see. If the surgery failed, likely his whole life he would be blind. And so the wedding day arrived, William's father and the surgeon who performed the surgery stood next to the groom, his eyes completely still covered with bandages. The dignitaries and guests waited in anticipation as the organ trumpeted in the wedding march and the bride accompanied by her father, slowly walked down the aisle. As she arrived at the altar, the surgeon took out a pair of scissors and he began to cut off the bandages that had been on William's eyes for weeks and his father was beside helping bring the bandages all off and of course the entire party, all the guests were holding their breath in anticipation. The bandages come off. And the words of William, which echo throughout the cathedral, said to his soon-to-be bride, crying, you're more beautiful than I ever imagined. You know, William looked at his bride like he was the only sight that he ever wanted to see. Friends, if you're in a small bad cycle or a big bad cycle, but you feel like God wants to help you out of it, The big idea is that we have to look at Jesus like he's the only sight that we want to see, like he's our only option. And friends, if we do that, he's going to get us out of that bad cycle, the healthier living for him. Now, when you entered, you were given a card there with Samson on it on the back. I just wanted to give you a takeaway, a prayer. If you have something on your mind, or maybe someone else is in a bad cycle and you want to pray it for them, I don't know. We're going to do these cards, by the way, every week throughout the series. 
Even Reverend Ashley's here. We're gonna have one of these cards for you from each one of the characters with prayers on them. We're looking forward to that. But I thought we end today with saying that prayer together. We look at the screen and pray this with me about getting out of bad cycles. God, please help me break the bad cycles in my life. I pray that I could live every day in the freedom that only Jesus can give. Thank you for Jesus, my Savior, and the power he has to set me free from bad cycles. Amen. Let me say a closing prayer. Father God, we thank you so much for the story of Samson. And God, I'm just touched by your love for Samson, for the people of Israel in the midst of their bad cycles. And God, how that speaks that you love us in the midst of whatever our cycle may be right now. That's not exactly what you want. So God, we cried out to you. We believe, Lord, you're going to help us out of that in order that we may be healthier, in order that we may live more into the fullness that you have us, for us, and for how you want us to serve the world. We love you. We pray it through Jesus' name. And the church said, amen, amen friends.